Welcome to Sermons from St. David's, a ministry of St. David's Episcopal Church in Southfield, Michigan. It's a chance for us to share a good word of challenge, inspiration, and hope as we walk the journey of faith together. You're welcome to join us on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. for live in-person worship. You can also join our 10 a.m. Eucharist via Zoom. Just go to our website for the meeting ID and password at stdavidssf.org. Well, sure, while many of the Jews who had come with Mary believed in Jesus after he raised Lazarus, not everybody did. In fact, I have a friend who always skips this, uh, this, this uh, particular Sunday in church because of the image of that four-day-old dead body simmering in the desert, a Middle Eastern Dutch oven, I mean tomb, <laughs> that magically put back together and resuscitated is too much for her. Even the main actors in this drama believe that. You know, I almost read for you, I had Father Steve read for you the King James Version of this story so we could hear those iconic two words describing Lazarus in the tomb, he stinketh. <laughs> but my friend's struggle is not my own. I think that the writer wasn't trying to make a statement about biology and about uh, physiology and ancient Judean funereal practices as much as he was trying to say something about faith and hope to you and to me, right here and right now. I think the church desperately needs this story because the one word summation of this story, which some of us may have preferred over the 45 verses that you patiently just stood through, the one word summation is this word, hope. Does anybody here need a shot of hope this morning? After all, hope is the precursor to any significant accomplishment. Hope sells lottery tickets, health fuels justice rallies, and though not in large doses, it is present at every Detroit Lions game. <laughs> that this old world needs a serious infusion of hope, there is no doubt, my brothers and sisters, as apathy and discouragement and criticism and negativity and pessimism hold far too much sway in our civil discourse as Americans, in our political dialogues, even our general outlook of the world. We look around at our looming problems, racial injustice, gun violence, ever-present poverty, political division, wealth inequality, violent crime, and we consider the existential threats of third world war, another pandemic, and the surge in artificial intelligence that could equip bad actors to do massively destructive things. And we know that Jesus has given us this story for this hour. This is a story about hope about the hope that you and I must take into our hearts and into the world, that it can be fixed. The persistence of these widespread problems at the most prosperous time that this world has ever known is really one of the most appalling features of our modern civilization. Millions of people on a world scale have found a way to strike it rich, drive through Broomfield Hills, drive through Gross Point, drive through Southwood. And the fact that so many more people continue to suffer year in and year out from the myriad of problems brought on by our inability to adequately address them is and should be unconscionable to us as moderns and certainly especially us as Christians. We know there's enough food in the world to feed everybody. We know that the vast majority of people in the world do not want war. 
do not want to live in fear of gun violence, do not want an ever-widening wealth gap, do not want politics that alienates us from one another, and want racial division to be a thing of the past. The reality is that millions of people are suffering under these things right now, and that you and I have become coolly accustomed to it. It does not seem to engender the kind of shock and disquiet that might be reasonable to expect given the enormity of these problems, which we meet by either cynicism, cynicism, hey, not a lot can be done about it, or complacent irresponsibility. Don't blame me, it's not a problem for which I'm answerable. This is the world that we live in, one that gives up on hope. When hope, my friends, is precisely what we need. What this world desperately needs is you and I to be people who live in hope, this hope that God gives to us and that we learn more about today. After all, any marked progress on these problems, let's face it, it begins with hope. And the hope of the Bible, of our faith, is not some pie-in-the-sky optimism that human ingenuity or courageousness or the energy of youth can solve everything. Now, this is not to say these things aren't fabulous, amazing, productive, totally reliable, much of the time. It is to say, that when we as believers use that word hope, we're talking about a religious word that is rooted not in human activity, but in divine action. Hope is something we have because of something God said. If you got your Twitter account open on your phone, that's a good one. Hope is something we have because of something God said. We have hope that things can get better because we have a God who says it can. Jesus came, came and said, I came to bring you abundant life. I came to bring you a new way of living, a way of living that shows you your best life is in giving. Your best life is the one you give away. The best life is the one you sacrifice for others. That's eternal life. That's contentment. All the junk I have and accumulated over 60 years, I had a compliment this week. Guy goes, I thought you were 50. <laughs> I know, Ellen's laughing. She's like, him? <laughs> but of all this stuff, I you know, that we, a lot of us have accumulated. We look back at the things that aren't the stuff, but the things that were really when we gave something to somebody. Those of you who are parents and godparents, best vocation around, right? You are giving and giving and giving, and you're getting so much more. We have hope that things can get better because we have a God who says it can. This is how hope and faith are correlated. We have faith that God is true to God's word. This is the foundation upon which our hope rests. Hope is something we have because of something God said. So hope does not ask us to simply adopt a better outlook or a sunnier attitude or some unrealistic vocabulary. No, hope challenges you and me to believe that God is not yet finished, to not throw in the towel because God is still at work. Hope invites us to the possibility that things can change, whatever it is in your life that you came in here with and you thought that'll never change. Well, guess what? It can change. Because God wants things to change. And yes, for the better. Hope taps into the spiritual side of every human being, whose very essence is the goodness of God's touching creation. And that seeks to align itself with God's will in the world, which is nothing less than the welcoming of the kingdom of God, what Jesus came to preach, 
what Jesus spoke about. And this is a kingdom of peace. This is a kingdom of respect. This is a kingdom of equality. This is a kingdom of healing. This is a kingdom of reconciliation, in which you and I are playing, maybe in our eyes, a really dinky part of a part at all. But let's face it, folks. The world's problems never come to an end through one big answer. It's always a million, million tiny answers. And what you're doing when you bring hope into the world and you leave this place is playing an irreplaceable part of God's plan to bring about God's will of healing and reconciliation and equality and of justice. And so the point of the sermon is to encourage us to be more hopeful. That's it. To encourage you to be more hopeful, to have hope, to trust God. It's simple, but not easy. So here are my three tips on building hope as you leave here today. Three suggestions to help you grow in hope, to be a more hopeful person, and a person who can bring hope into the world. Earlier this year, my friend went to see the optometrist. He was getting older, his eyes weren't working like they used to. I'm sure nobody here can relate to that. And the doctor found that yes, his vision was deteriorating and he prescribed him some glasses. My friend said, oh, I'll get a couple of these. I'll probably lose a pair. He did, and he got the bill. Oh, these are expensive. But he paid it. Then a few months later, he was wearing his glasses at work. He ran into the HR director, noticed they were new. My friend said, yeah, I, I got them a few months ago. The HR director said, I haven't seen a bill for them. He said, why? HR director said, well, you know, it's part of your compensation package. You have vision insurance. He doesn't have to pay for them. His employer does. Oh, he had insurance. He paid for something that he didn't have to pay for. How excited my friend was to get a refund, which came to him because he hadn't known what he had. My friend had not taken the time to review his benefits. And friends, we do the same thing. We forget to review the benefits of being God's child, of being a Christian, which is tip number one towards building hope. Know God's promises. Have God's word top of mind. Pause and reflect on what it is that we have. This, I think, is, is the gift of God's word, is the gift of, of, of the church, the community that reminds us of who we are. But review the benefits. How many scriptures can we point to? Deborah, we just got out of a wonderful time with you in the, uh, in the conference room as you told us more about your faith and how important that is to you to review those words of scripture who say, who, that define us, that define us as to who we are. God says, we are worth saving. God says we are wondrous. God says we are irreplaceable. So tip number one, build hope by pausing and reflecting on what we have in Christ. One of the things I thank you all for during these past couple of years, you know, we did a lot of building renovations around here, is your generosity in helping us fix that doggone flat roof over the education wing. Anybody remember seeing the buckets set up in the hallways? Many of you didn't set up the buckets in the hallways. After a big rain, a dramatic thaw, drip, 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 drip. Lots of fun, wasn't it? We had the Sunday schoolers playing Noah's Ark in the hallway. My parents had a flat roof. Same thing. Drip, drip, drip. I lived in Battle Creek. I had a flat roof. Drip, drip, drip. Moral of the story. No matter what the salesman tells you, no matter what kind of roofing materials they show you, no matter how they lay them, fuse them, or install them, somehow, some way, the water wins. You get wet, it gets in. Same is true when it comes to faith. Make no mistake about it, the influences that we choose to put around us will seep in. Raise your child around swear words, 
else. Grow up in the South, you'll have an accent. We are what we read, watch, listen to, admire, and swim in. So the second tip toward building hope is to limit negative influences. Evaluate what's around us that keeps us from marinating in the hope of the gospel and build up that bedrock of faith by limiting the negative influence that are trying to see them. Because they're all around us. Many times I go to church on Sunday just so I can, I can literally hear good news, right? Because I want that to see them. I want God's definition of who I am. I want God's definition of what the world can do, of possibility, of hope, to really marinate in that. And that's what I think we're asked to do. Second tip for building hope. Limit those negative influences. Here's a quiz for you young people. I see you, some of you guys snuck in the back. Hello, Jessica. Hello there, Skyler. Who here remembers what a Rolodex is? Anybody remember a Rolodex? Okay. Who used to use one at work? Anybody used to use one? Okay, now here's the day. <laughs> Who still has one? <laughs> Jessica, a Rolodex, of course, is, is, is a way to organize contact information for people for whom you want to keep in touch. When my friend Steve was starting off as a financial services guy, uh, he would keep a Rolodex and he was devoted to writing in current and potential clients. And when he'd identify a person and fill out a Rolex card, he'd not only include contact information, but he also wrote on that card a dollar amount of how much that person was worth. So he could gauge how lucrative a client that person might or might not become. It's his job, right? And so Steve would then try to build a relationship with that person based on what they were worth. Didn't matter if they were nice or mean or dastardly or altruistic. He was out to build his business. And the only way Steve could do this was by getting as many high net worth individuals and let him manage as much of their portfolio as he could. I think we need to do something similar with the hopeful people around us. We need to build our lives around hopeful people. Maybe not a physical Rolodex, but a mental one of all the hopeful people we know. Because surely, I know a couple of negative people, you guys probably know so that we can become as close to the hopeful people as we can. Not so that we can get some of their portfolio, but so that we can get some of their hope. Because friends, hope is contagious. Again, this leads to influences around you. Like COVID and too many of those mindless advertising jingles that are contagious. Don't get me started on saving money at the numbers. <laughs> hope is also contagious, friends. Somebody's hopefulness can rub off on you. How can you make hope and hopeful people and hopeful influences a bigger part of your lives? This is why church is so important. A lot of us come here to be and to become more like Jesus. That's the hope. I look around at all the generous, kind, thoughtful, and yes, hopeful people that you are. And rest assured, you will become more like the people with whom you hang out. Watch your influences. So we can build hope by, one, pausing and reflecting, taking time to remember what God says about us, what God says about the world. Let us grow in hope, being more familiar with God's hopeful words in the Bible. We've still got some devotionals in back. You know how to do it. Secondly, limit the bad influences. We will mirror our environments. We will adapt and adopt to what's around us. 
And third, hang around hopeful people, hang around hopeful influences. We will become more like the people we befriend and spend time with. Finally, friends, look at your bulletin covers. I want you to take a good look at that, at that image there. It's a picture of Jesus calling Lazarus to come out of his tomb to stand up to receive his resuscitation. And now you can put him down, and I want you to take a look at that stained glass window about halfway up in the west. Looks somewhat familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really nice around 4 or 5 o'clock when the sun is over in the area, but it's really a beautiful, beautiful uh, kind of mid-century modern take on this story. I want us to consider that hope is actually built in to this very building. Our forefathers, our foremothers, saw this story as literally foundational to our church, and they have bequeathed to you and me its message this morning in living color, this message of hope. Hope is something we have because it's something God said. May it become our foundation and our strength. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. And may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.